amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dear Persisters, Before we start today's episode, we would like to make two brief announcements. First of all, we are now part of a campaign called Two Pods a Day. It's a campaign that introduces you to two independent podcasts every day. You know, everyone listens to the big names in the podcast world, but you know what? There are so many great independent podcasts that also deserve to be listened to and that also deserve some love. So please head over to the homepage, twopartsaday.wordpress.com to check out all the amazing podcasts that they introduce. Also join the Facebook group, hashtag 2 day, and follow them on Twitter. The handle is at 2 day. Secondly, we're excited to announce that we are now featured on an awesome app called CastBox. It's an app that you can use to listen to your podcasts for free. And it's available on both Android and iOS. And the great thing is is that it's a free platform that also helps promote podcasters to millions of listeners worldwide. So make sure you check them out. There's one more thing that we wanted to tell you, and that is we are continuously trying to improve this podcast, trying to find better ways of doing things, trying to find better programs to record a podcast, trying to improve the audio quality. You know, we're just starting out and we're just in the big, in the process of, of learning, basically. And for this recording, you will notice a change in the audio quality because we are we tried out um, a new program for recording. Unfortunately, it did not really turn out the way that we wanted it to, so the audio quality is a bit worse than it was for the last few episodes. And sometimes in the middle of the sentence, it sounds like another person is talking, although it's the same person as before. I hope the the episode is enjoyable nonetheless. I hope you can forgive us that we are, you know, trying to do our best and also are making mistakes in the process. But at least now we know that this is a way of recording that we won't use in the future. And for the next episode, we will go back to how we did things before. So thank you for giving us a bit of time to figure things out and I hope you enjoy the show. She was warned. 
she was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. Welcome to The Persistence. This is She Who Persisted, the Nasty Podcast. My name is Beatrice. This is Elizabeth, and I am a cisgendered uh, woman. Uh, I identify as straight, uh, heterosexual. Um, my pronouns are she and her. I identify as bisexual. Um, and one of the things that I'll talk about later is that I've never been in a relationship with a woman. I've only been in relationships with men. And yet I still identify as bisexual. So that's something that I'll talk about a little bit later because that's also a source of contention. Uh, and then in terms of pronouns, just using she. That was Bethany, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I also uh, identify as bisexual, Beatrice, and pronouns also she. And as you may know, June is Pride Month and uh, many Pride events or Pride-themed events nowadays are entitled with LGBT or LGBTIQ or some variety of, of the acronym. But then when you look at the people represented in, for example, flyers or posters of these events, or which people are actively talked about or talked to, it becomes very clear very quickly that only a certain segment of the LGBT or LGBTIQ population is actual, actually visible and mm. actively addressed. And that's yeah. mostly gay men, mm. or more specifically white gay men. And kind of, you know, in the best case scenario, it's gay men and lesbian women. And I would like to start actually with a kind of personal experience that is also a professional experience because last November I was invited to two different events at two different universities in Germany because they uh, had their days of action against homophobia and transphobia and I was invited to give talks on the subject and in both of these cases the events were entitled action days against sexism homophobia and transphobia and in neither of the titles of the events was biphobia or bi negativity even mentioned mm. and you know for me it's kind of the one of the most important things to talk about when we are talking about bisexuality and biphobia which is its invisibility and erasure and I want to ask the question what we actually mean when we use the acronym LGBT and what space are is the B allowed to take and is it thought about at all? I think that bi-negativity is a very specific type of discrimination and experience that is also very different from homophobia and it's often experienced in addition to homophobia and it's also enacted upon bisexual or pansexual individuals by gay uh, lesbian individuals. And before I continue talking about by negativity, I would like to give a shout out to Natalie from the Visibility Austria group who um, raised my awareness when it comes to the word biphobia, that it's probably not the best word to use because it's not an actual phobia and it's not, you know, an illness or something. And there are people who have actual phobias and who suffer from mental illnesses. And she suggested the word by negativity to me, which is also the reason why I'm using that specific word or why I'll use it in the context of this recording today. Yeah, because I guess it's more like uh, active discrimination as opposed to fear, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's not, it's not an illness, you know, right. it's not an illness, but it's like, it's having something against it's a, a group of people. Yeah. Um, 
it's a choice. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I would also like to talk about today is the specific place that bisexual women have in our society, because it's like a place at the intersection of misogyny and bi-negativity. And that's a very precarious situation and it has very grave and real consequences um, for bisexual women. So um, what I ask in the, I already talked about the uh, visibility Austria group on Facebook, um, and I, before I started the script for, for my part of, of the episode, I asked them what they thought we should talk about um, when it comes to the issues of, you know, biphobia, bi-negativity, bisexuality. And they came, came up with the following things, and I would just like to, you know, quote them. Um, they said that we should talk about that people are continuously invalidated uh, when they are bisexual people are delegitimized and invalidated when they are in a relationship with someone of the opposite or another sex. So if they are in a relationship that is read as heterosexual, that they face discrimination from heterosexual people and homosexual people, that not all bisexual people are promiscuous or polyamorous, that bisexuality is not a phase, that bisexual people have continuously do continuously have to fight for like their space in queer communities that bisexuality does not mean 50% heterosexual and 50% homosexual but that it's its own category and that is not defined via other categories that makes me think of like in in my experiences when i tell people that i'm bisexual and they're like oh, so you've dated men and women in equal numbers. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do you keep track of how many people you've dated and like all of their attributes and stuff like that, really? You have a list. It doesn't, you know, it's not like, okay, from the left side, I'm gay and the right side, I'm straight. And then somewhere in the middle, they meet and I mm. like both men and women. No, that's not how it works. And it's also, I think, very important for listeners to know that every bisexual person has like a bisexual passport. Yes. And <laughs> we have to check who we are dating, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, we are, we have to, when you fall in love with a woman, we then have to fall in love with a man. It's kind of it's true. Cool. Well, it's it's, true. Then it, in that way, it becomes kind of like a, a dance card from like the 19th, early 20th <laughs> century. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't do what it tells you to, then you lose the label. Your bisexuality passport is revoked. It's, it is revoked. Yeah. And you are no longer allowed to be a bisexual. No longer, no. <laughs> Because it's a very strict thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Also, they said that bisexuality does not mean that you have to like men and women equally 50-50, but that there are various meanings to it. And then someone also said, which I like, that it's great to be bi and we shouldn't always focus on the discrimination and the bad like parts. Positivity. Yay. There won't be a lot of positivity in what I'm talking about. Sorry. <laughs> Um, it's fine. You know what? We'll end on a positive note. How about okay, that? Okay, good. We commit right now to ending <laughs> on a positive thing, note. <laughs> one thing that I'd also like to, one thing that also came up was that someone said, which is also important, that um, when people define themselves as bisexual or come out to you as bisexual, then it's probably not a good idea to describe the relationships they're in as homosexual or heterosexual. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, and then, which is also important that bi in bisexuality doesn't necessarily mean two, which is something that the word bisexuality or bisexual is also sometimes accused for is like perpetuating and reproducing a gender binary, which is also something you could say to all kinds of other orientations. So it's kind of also weird that it's a critique that is uttered in only in that context. Um, I I think this issue of language is really interesting because we don't, you know, for the last however many years, we haven't had a language to talk about variability in Mm. in gender, variability Mm. in sexuality. And so, you know, I think that a lot of people are coming to a place where they want to be respectful and they want to know what the right thing is to say. They just don't necessarily have the vocabulary for it yet. And and I, I hope that maybe our podcast and, and other podcasts like ours can give people information about how to be respectful, how to use the right vocabulary so as not to come across as an asshole. Yeah, yeah. and I think, again, that's a choice, right? Because I know so many people who are native English speakers who have a large vocabulary uh, and still choose to be discriminatory, to still you know, purposefully say, well, I grew up knowing he and she, and so I'm not going to use your pronoun choice because I don't believe that that exists. Well, it does exist. It's in our vocabulary now. Like, there are certain things that people need to choose to be accepting of, and adding one additional pronoun or whatever is not going to break you. I mean, if it's impossible for you to learn one new word, God help you in life, you know? Also, we're not Latin. We're not a dead language. You know, all of the, like, German has come up with a gender, has come up with gender neutral pronouns. Mm -hmm. English has come up with them. Like, we're a a language that is developing and changing. And, uh, you know, when new words get created, it's perfectly possible to be able to use those words. The reason why I choose the word bisexual uh, is that it's, I think the word for multisexual people that is most easily understandable. It is also kind of a um, reclaiming. It's a kind of a political statement because I'm kind of reclaiming a label that um, people say is um, reproducing a binary, which I don't think it does. And um, because I think, you know, we are the ones that give words meaning. It's not the words that make us. We make the words. And also what it also does is that it refers back to and it values a very rich and often forgotten history of bisexual activism and culture. And the definition that I go by is one by Robin Ox, who is a very well-known bisexual activist. And she wrote, bisexuality is the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one sex and or gender, not necessarily at the same time, not necessarily in the same way, and not necessarily to the same degree. I love that definition. And I really like that because it's a very, very broad and open definition. And something that Bethany already talked about is the fact that there are many bisexual people who identify as bisexual, but who were never in a relationship with someone from a specific sex, but they just know that they are bisexual. And it's something that is, you know, when a 12-year-old says that they are heterosexual, that's commonly accepted. But if, like, a bisexual person does that, that is usually not believed. Yeah, even um, as an adult, people... like, oh, can't yeah. trust you to make your own identity. Yeah, 
And one very useful report on the subject is one that was done by the San Francisco Human Rights Commission in 2011. They uh, published a report called Bisexual Invisibility Impacts and Recommendations. And that report is available online and it's for free. But don't worry, you don't have to Google it now because I will put it on the web page. And it's really full of useful resources when it comes to the topic of bi-negativity. And in the beginning of the report, they kind of list a number of biphobic stereotypes. Um, and I will quote a few here, and I'm sure that Bethany will also recognize a few of those. So they say biphobia is, for example, and I'm using the word biphobia here now because that's also what they used, although... I again want to say that is probably not the best word to use because by negativity is probably better because we're not talking about a mental illness. So it's for example, assuming that everyone you meet is either heterosexual or homosexual. Supporting or understanding a bisexual identity for young people because you identified that way before you came to your real lesbian, gay or heterosexual identity. I think that's very often true for queer communities where being bisexual is seen as kind of a gateway to being gay. Um, another thing is automatically assuming romantic couplings of two women are lesbian or two men are gay or a man and a woman are heterosexual, which is also something that one, in, one person in the Visibility Austria group referred to. Expecting a bisexual to identify as gay or lesbian when coupled with the quote-unquote same-sex agenda and expecting, expecting a bisexual to identify as heterosexual when coupled with the opposite sex gender. Also then, one thing that I really love is thinking bisexual people haven't made up their minds yet. Or it's just a assuming that bi You'll grow yeah. out of it. <laughs> well, in a similar, in a similar uh, vein is believing bisexuals are confused about their sexuality. Assuming that bisexuals, if given the choice, would prefer to be in an opposite gender sex coupling to reap the social benefits of heterosexual pairing or yeah that's also uh, I have a child <laughs> okay another one is which is one of the worst and i actually have goosebumps talking about it is feeling that you cannot trust a bisexual because they aren't really they aren't really lesbian or gay you guys are but both very shifty i yeah. i am the shiftiest person i know so yeah. I and purposefully also, use my confused sexuality to manipulate other people. I know, you do it all the time. I feel so manipulated. Um, <laughs> also, and that's something that will also come up later, is refusing to use the word bisexual in media when reporting on people attracted to more than one gender. Instead, substituting <laughs> made-up terms such as gayish. What? What? Gayish. Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh and then using the terms phase or stage or confused or fence sitter as slurs or in an accusatory way then also assuming bisexuals are incapable of monogamy looking at uh, bisexual people and automatically thinking of their sexuality rather than seeing them as whole complete people mm. and then also and i think that's very true for especially bisexual women Assuming bisexual means available. So, well, sure, of course. Yeah. That's well, what I, I think, always think. Well, I think the other thing that comes up with that is like when people are bisexual or identify as bisexual and um, other people automatically assume that that means polygamous or polyamorous, oh, no. sure. that you can't be bisexual and be 
in a monogamous committed relationship with someone because you like both men and women and so you're not going to be satisfied being with just one and it's like well actually i'm very happy thank you and there's so much wrong with that because on the one hand the one problematic aspect of it is just assuming that somebody doesn't want to have a monogamous relationship because they're homosexual which is like a negative or biphobic stereotype but then on the other hand it also kind of devalues relationships that are not monogamous which is also wrong yeah you know i mean there are people who are in happy polyamorous relationships or people who are living a promiscuous life and they're happy and healthy you know i mean it's just there's just so much wrong with that you know all the all of these negative attitudes towards bisexual people have very very real effects it's not just you know things that we list and laugh about because they're stupid but people actually suffer from them you know people actually face very real consequences and there is a study that i would like to um quote that is by herrick and it has the title heterosexuals attitudes towards bisexual men and women in the united states and it was published in the year 2002 in the journal of sex research by the way as i said i will sounds like an amazing journal the journal of sex research (laughs) that sounds like something i need to start reading yeah (laughs) and don't worry you don't have to look for it now we'll put all of that in in the blog post and it found that bisexual people were judged most negatively of all groups that they looked at and amongst those were catholics lesbians people with aids pro-lifers and so on and so forth the only group that was as unpopular and as evaluated as negatively as bisexuals were heroin addicts ah yes because drug addictions and choosing your sexual partner are definitely one and the same absolutely it's both an illness see Mm, um so (laughs) apparently by negativity is a very widespread phenomenon and also very deeply ingrained in our culture and there are many many effects of it so for first of all bisexual people have a far greater risk for mental health illness as an effect of double minority stress so Mm. they are not only confronted with homophobia and homonegativity but also with by negativity and the invisibility that results of monosexism, which is the belief that monosexuality, so the attraction to only one sex agenda is the only real or valid or valuable sexual orientation. And the constant sense of not belonging to either the heterosexual majority or the lesbian gay community. And there are numerous studies that show a far greater prevalence of depression, anxiety, and as a result, also suicidality amongst bisexual people and most strikingly bisexual women compared to other groups and other sexual minorities such as gay and lesbian people. Numerous studies also show that bisexual people have worse physical health than everyone else, starting from high blood pressure to much higher consumption of cigarettes, alcohol and drugs. It's your coping mechanism, and I would like- right? Pardon? That when you're faced with so much negativity, yeah, you need completely. an outlet that yeah yeah and i would like to stress one specific statistics from the report by the san francisco human rights committee that i will also put on the website that deals with psychological health and the report states that 50 uh sorry the report states that 45 percent of all bisexual women in the report have quote seriously considered or attempted taking their own lives unquote Mm. so it's important to note that's almost half of bisexual women asked and the number is at 9.6 percent for heterosexual women that are reported on and 29 percent 
29.5% for the lesbian women. So mm. bisexual women are 5.9 times more likely to, to be suicidal than straight women. Wow. And another study from the British Journal of Psychiatry states, quote, bisexual orientation is associated with worse mental health than heterosexual orientation on a range of measures of psychological distress, with the homosexual group falling between the two. Previous studies may have overstated the risk of mental health problems for homosexuals by grouping them together with bisexuals. Hmm. And this points to another problem, which is the invisibility of bisexual people, also in not just in communities, but also in studies focusing on LGBT people, mm. because the fact that they're grouped together with lesbian and gay people often distorts the results. And that's particularly mm. tragic when those oftentimes very shocking results then lead to, to actions that kind of summarize the issues as lesbian and gay issues and take... Um, action that basically addresses gay and lesbian people mm. instead of bisexual people. And mm. I'm quoting again from that study, quote, when researchers conflate data about bisexuals with data about gay men or lesbians, it may significantly skew the findings. It may also result in interventions not reaching or not being effective for key populations. For example, because bisexuals have worse outcomes in most areas of health where specific data are available, conflating the data will generally make the picture look more urgent. Yet few public health programs specifically reach out to bisexuals. This means that even though bisexuals may have greater need, the resources primarily wind up benefiting lesbians and gay men. Another shocking result of bi-negativity, because you haven't heard enough of it, <laughs> it's not enough yet, another shocking aspect is the scope of violence against bisexual people, and again, specifically against bisexual women, which, as Bethany also pointed to, at least partly explains the higher prevalence of mental illness and suicidality and drug abuse and all of those things that I already mentioned. So there's a study called the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, and it was published in 2010. And it's the only study that I found that looks at uh, the risk of being victimized for specific sexual minorities. So, and the findings are really depressing because almost half of all bisexual women have experienced sexual violence, while only 13.1% of lesbian women and 17.4% of heterosexual women did. And when it comes to intimate partner violence, also almost half of women, half of bisexual women were victims of particularly grave forms of violence. So in summary, in this study, bisexual women are the group that is most likely to be victimized in all areas studied, starting with stalking, to emotional psychological violence, to sexualized violence, to intimate partner violence. That's also really awful. It, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah, and, and despite of all the discrimination that bisexual people face, there's also a huge lack of support within the LGBT mm -hmm. community, but also institutional support by LGBTIQ organizations. Many bisexuals feel isolated uh, because they do not belong to the heterosexual majority, but also feel like they don't belong to queer communities. And that, as I said, leads to kind of double the minority stress. They are a minority everywhere. Additionally, there are almost no events, programs, organizations that specifically address bisexuals and bisexual issues. And the San Francisco Human Rights Commission notes 
that through the USA, funding for LGBTQ organizations rose between 2008 and 2009, but not a single dollar was used for bi-specific programs despite this apparent necessity that we just talked about. I think that one of the things that comes to mind for me is I've been told before, like, oh, your problems in, you know, by negativity and stuff like that don't matter because you can pass as straight. Like, and, yeah. and even people who are homosexual get told that as well. Like, oh, well, you don't look or act gay. Therefore, yeah. you know, you don't need the same kind of support that other people need, which is just not true because what that kind of tone in a conversation results in is active repression which we see you know this relates back to the mental health issues and we see that eventually after so much repression there's just an eruption of negativity depression anxiety things like that that would be much better um regulated and you know under control by the individual if they were allowed to feel free to communicate about what they're feeling and their emotions. And there's this huge push in our society not to talk about how you feel. And if you do talk about how you feel, somehow you're just being whiny and complaining and, you know, oh, you have privilege. And sometimes you do. But oftentimes when you're facing that repression because you're unable to find support, that's a valid concern. Yeah, Yeah, and I think, go ahead. No, I just want to say that even if, you know, being in a as a bisexual person, being in a relationship with with someone of the quote-unquote opposite sex that is read as heterosexual, there might be a certain privilege that comes with it when it comes to how respectable that relationship is deemed to be. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, it's not, you know, I think internally it's not really a privilege because you're struggling all the time with kind of finding a community and belonging to somewhere and all of that. So... I think what looks as privilege from the outside doesn't necessarily always have to be privilege on the inside. Yeah. And I want us to think about, or our listeners to think about the fact that that, you know, telling someone, oh, well, you can pass is forcing bisexual people who are bisexual into a closet. I mean, it's telling them you, you can be closeted and it's totally fine because society will accept you. And Mm -hmm. Well, on the other hand, we keep telling people that they should be true to themselves and that they should be honest. But with the same breath, we're telling them, oh, you know, you can pass. Just pretend like you're not bisexual. And we're sending as a society really mixed messages to people. But by doing that. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. One thing that I think is really important that's not often talked about is that something I really want to stress in the context of this episode is that I'm convinced that there is a strong connection between bi-erasure and mm-hmm. bi-invisibility and sexism. Because when you look at the LGBT population, um, 65 to 75% of the queer women identify as bi and not lesbian. So and it depends on which study you rely on. There are different ones, but it's usually kind of a stable number between 65 and 75%. So mm-hmm. it's a huge number of women. So it's particularly women that are affected by, by antagonism, by negativity, by erasure, by phobia. So I think there's a strong connection here between, you know, the, between the fact that in our society, women's sexuality in general is not taken seriously. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's another thing that I, that pops into my head right now, which is this idea that, you know, if a man is bisexual, 
obviously like, people would prefer that he's in a relationship with a woman whereas if a woman is bisexual you get all of these really crude comments and lewd comments like oh well how about you and your girlfriend come have sex with me like things like that where it's this idea that oh because you're bisexual let's have a threesome I, no mm. that's not what i'm interested in i'm interested in being with one person and just because you enjoy both genders and find both genders sexually attractive does not mean that you want to have sex with more than one person at a time and i mean i think women who are lesbian often get that as well like oh but you know surely you must have some attraction to men so why don't you come home with me kind of vibe which is just yeah really disgusting it seems, it seems to be completely inconceivable for some straight men that there are parts of some women's sexuality that are not about them yeah exactly not their consumption exactly so one important thing that we need to talk about when we talk about uh bisexuality is the topic of bi erasure and there are many pop cultural examples for that and i just would like to and you know one aspect of that is like series like orange is the new black where Mm -hmm. for example uh the word bisexual is never used um and or the L word, where they, for example, use the word lesbian instead of bisexual mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's just like an erasure of bisexual identity in many, many pop cultural artifacts. I don't want to go into details and, you know, when it comes to the examples, but I want to just, you know, talk about one example. And that was an interview with the uh, actress Anna Paquin with Larry King. Um, Anna Paquin is bisexual and she's one of the most, I think, famous bisexual faces of Hollywood. And she's also very active when it comes to LGBT activism. And so she was giving an interview with Larry King. And one thing that I also should say is that she's at the moment married to a guy. I don't know who. (laughs) I'm not keeping up with gossip. And Larry King asks her the question, are you a non-practicing bisexual? What the hell is a non-practicing bisexual? And she answers, well, I'm married to my husband and we are happily monogamously married. And then he says, but you were bisexual, right? (laughs) So, Because being married to a man automatically revokes your bisexuality passport. And I think that example is like very, it's a very typical kind of, reaction and i think that's how many people think about the topic yeah. you know first of all he thinks that monogamy and bisexuality are incompatible yeah then she he questions her identification because she's married to a man mm. which which implies complete misunderstanding of what bisexuality actually means because it implies the possibility of being married to a man yeah um and then also her bisexuality is kind of constructed as something past because she's in a monogamous relationship. And that's this idea, right, that you, once you settle down with someone, you've chosen what your sexuality is on a monosexual scale. Yeah, and you've, it's kind of, not just you've chosen your sexuality, but you finally have a sexual identity. Because there were only two. Yay, you married a man, now you're straight. Well, wait a second. (laughs) So how did Anna Paquin respond to that? Um, she said that's not how bisexuality works. And she she kind of 
explained it very well, actually. She said it's not a past tense. It's not a past. I think she said it's not a past tense thing. It's not how mm. bisexuality works. Yeah. Um, and I can also post that link on the on the page later. Yeah, that'd be great. Because yeah. I think it's a very interesting Sounds kind really of interesting. interview. But you know, the fact that um, bisexual celebrities are reported on as being either straight or gay, depending on what relationship they're in now, and their bisexuality being erased or reported mm -hmm. on as something past happens a lot. It ha doesn't happen just to Anna Paquin, but it also happened to Dylan Anderson, for example, or to Michael Stipes from R.E.M., mm -hmm. to Brian Morco, to Ellen Cumming, Cynthia Nixon, Angelina Jolie, are just a few like famous examples. Celebrities are very often considered heterosexual when they are in opposite sex relationships and lesbian and gay when they are in same quote unquote same sex relationships mm. and independent of you know their own self-identification and also completely independent of how strongly they insist on being called bisexuals yeah and that's yeah well that just goes back to you know having a language for it and then not respecting how somebody identifies, right? You know, yeah. we're identifying them by an external um, relationship rather than their internal, like, personal identification. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's particularly tragic when you look at the very important, you know, part that uh, bi activists played in the LGBT movement. When you, for example, think about Brenda Howard, who is a name that everybody should know, but almost nobody knows her. I'll confess she I have was, no clue who she is. Brenda Howard was one of the most important people in the Stonewall riots. Mm. And she was one of the most important LGBT activists, and she was bi. And while she was participating in, the LGBT, in those you know, Stonewall riots, she was actually, I think, even married to a man. Um, and she's kind of also erased from this emancipatory LGBT history. Mm. Nobody really knows her. So, well, Brenda it's Howard. Funny. A lot of a lot of non uh, like gay men have been erased from the Stonewall yeah. <laughs> riots, yeah. but yeah, yeah, completely, yeah. And I already mentioned series like Sex in a City, where there is. I'm, I think I'm just going to post all of these clips on a homepage. I'm not going to go into detail about it, but. In series like Sex and the City and Glee and Orange is the New Black and The L Word, where mm. bisexuality is just erased or kind of ridiculed, not taken seriously. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's other cases of erasure, too, that are perhaps a little more uh, tragic and more, more over the top than just, you know, not naming uh, bisexuality and not allowing queer characters to exist in television shows. Um, and that is this phenomenon that is that happens that has been happening on television shows that queer and bisexual characters seem to be killed off in a lot of television shows. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm thinking specifically about the TV show The 100. Um, a colleague of mine, Elizabeth Bridges, uh, she wrote a great blog post about the erasure of queer characters in pop culture, particularly focusing on the 100 and specifically the death of one of the only two queer bisexual characters on the show. The 100 was really unique for portraying a normal, positive, queer, bisexual relationship between two strong women, definitely passing the Bechtel test. They didn't just talk about men. They actually <laughs> talked about things in their lives and things that were important to them. 
Um, and in her blog post, she discusses the fact that if you're queer, number one, you almost never see yourself represented in your fandom. Um, from, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, though you saw, you know, representations of, of gay and uh, lesbian and queer characters, you know, if you remember Tara, Tara got killed off, yeah. <laughs> um, leaving Willow without a, a partner. Um, if you do see yourself represented in your, your favorite shows, it will be subtext only. They won't be overtly gay characters or overtly bisexual characters. Certainly not bisexual characters. God, I mean, there are so few bisexual characters that you see in television programming and movies. Um, and three, in the off chance that a character is canonically gay or bisexual, he or she will be evil, crazy, or killed off right after mm -hmm. achieving a really happy coupledom. Um, and my friend Elizabeth suggests that, quote, the latter seems to happen most often to queer female characters, so much mm -hmm. so that it has a name, the dead lesbian trope. I Essentially, the message that. is that gay sex is punishable by death and queer couples can never be happy. Yeah. So the site Autostraddle compiled the list of 181 lesbian or bisexual characters from television shows and how they died. I have seen yeah. that list and it is traumatic. That, that sounds um, like a fun read. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where you break out the chocolate, right? <laughs> yeah, and it goes back to the 70s. It's nuts. Um, and so this list contains te every television death that, and this is not just, they have uh, German television shows, they have British and um, and Australian television shows, but the death of an openly lesbian or bisexual or queer female character on a television show, and it appears to be uh, who appears in a recurring role, so not just someone who like showed up in one episode and died, though I'm sure that happens as well. Mm. Um, we'll put the link on the site so that you can take a look at it, uh, but it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Um, Critic Nicola Choi wrote that um, when they spot when sh when people spot a lesbian or bisexual woman on TV, many LGBTQ fans simply resign themselves to the fact that the character will die. Um, and she says, "What would happen if every straight white male character got inexplicably and deplorably killed off in every show you watch just to further the plot?" That's to the point. Do. I think what we should do is we should start a crowdfunding campaign to make our own film. And what we'll do is we'll just kill off all the characters that you wouldn't expect to die. Sure. I mean, I feel like George R.R. R. Martin kind of does that. That's in true. That is true. <laughs> oh, you're a human. Better kill you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but it's to the point where if you see a straight character... Uh, and immediately think, yep, he's going to die when he walks into a room without a bulletproof vest. You know, if, if we had that thought uh, for straight characters, the way that the LGBTQ community has that for, you know, bisexual, queer, gay characters, you know, it, it would be very different, right? So what metrics are we sending when you write these kind of cheap deaths um, that LGBT fans don't deserve um, who they, to love who they love? that they should fear every door that they open, that you know they're in constant danger of being erased. And this goes back to this issue of kind of by erasure, um, that the fact that this is a trope at all and that the LGBTQ viewers see themselves as expendable in the eyes of the media is dangerous. And it's an irresponsible message to be sending. And I think that this is part of the biphobia and bi erasure, which we as like cisgendered straight people have become all too comfortable with and silent about. And, and, you know, we shouldn't just 
we need to be advocates and allies. You know, it can't be our voices that are heard, cisgendered, straight people necessarily, but we need to be there and also advocating that we're not okay with this. Right. We're in a, in a supportive role, right? Because it's kind of the same thing when you talk about other discriminatory issues. If you have the power and the ability to have a voice or to make a voice heard, it doesn't necessarily need to be your voice that you can act as a conduit for other voices that are not so readily listened to. Yeah. I just, I I would just love to add one thing to what you just said, Liz, which is it's not, it's not only that it's particularly queer characters that are getting killed off in TV shows and films and stuff like that, but it's also that they are mostly the villains. Yes. So, and, and that's, and that's the reason why they are killed off. So there's even more to it. It's not just that they're expendable. It's that they're evil. Yeah. Or crazy. Evil or crazy or both. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore (laughs) need to be extinguished. I mean, think about single white female. You know, that was, that was a movie. I mean, she wasn't necessarily, you know, she could have just been a lesbian, but probably, you know, possibly bisexual. Let's, let's for the sake of this episode, say that the, the villainous in, in single white female was bisexual and she was stalking this other woman to the point that Mm -hmm. she was taking over her life and was crazy pants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the image of bisexuality that we have in popular culture. Or think Mm. about basic instinct. Oh my gosh. Think about, think about Disney films, you know, (laughs) think about how the villains and villainesses in Disney films are portrayed. And there are a lot of like queer stereotypes that they're encoded Mm -hmm. with. And that's yeah, because people. it's it's implicit, not explicit. Yeah, completely. That they are not s- straight yeah. cisgender. So a lot of a lot of queer negativity in our culture, and but there's one specific area that I'd also like to talk about today, which is something that I think specifically affects bisexual women, mm. and that's the hypersexualization. Yes. And the commodification of female sexuality. It goes back female, to what I was I talking about female earlier. Female sexuality <laughs> instead of female sexuality. <laughs> female bisexuality, not be female. Female bisexuality. There you go. I can't even pronounce it correctly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is an aspect in which I think the construction of female bisexuality is also strikingly different from the construction of male bisexuality, which is mm-hmm. usually completely erased. And that's the sexualization, objectification, commodification of female bisexuality for a straight male gaze. That's exactly what I was talking about before. It gets under my skin. Yeah, completely. And of course, it's even more problematic when you think about how little representation there is in general. And the little representation that there is, is then made for straight men. So bisexual women seem to be either completely invisible or when they are visible, their sexuality is not understood as legitimate sexual identity or they are objectified in the content context of those like phallocentric porn aesthetics. They're kind of eye candy and not taken seriously. And the researcher Lisa Diamond points out that constructing female bisexuality as only kind of a short excursion into homosexuality from heterosexuality or as heteroflexibility, as she says, also always keeps heteronormativity intact because people will always eventually return to heterosexuality in the end. And thus, we again have a very non-threatening version of female sexuality. Yeah. And I think one of the most famous examples for that is probably 
um, you know, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl, okay. where she yeah. also sings. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm sorry. Do you know I- that that song has fucked up bisexuality since it came out? Because Absolutely. if a woman says that she is in a romantic relationship with another woman or has feelings about another woman, this song is like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it pisses me off because people are like, oh, well, it's fine. You liked it, but you'll get over it. You'll go back to a man later. I'm not experimenting. This is not a phase. No, no. And she also sings stuff like, I kissed a girl. I liked it. I hope my boyfriend don't mind it. Yeah. Which I'm sorry, but hey, that's cheating. And that's not something that the bisexual community does just because they feel like it or whatever. That is just straight up cheating on the person that you're with, unless you have an open relationship. And it's also kind of belittling non-heterosexuality in women and making it kind of um, kind of packaging it as a show for men. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the, the core of it. Um, and it also always implies kind of this voluntary return to heterosexuality. And it's, you know, this other thing that I'm doing is not really t- to be taken seriously. It's just a fun well, little thing I do on a Saturday and it, night. And it's- it goes back to that primary argument that gets thrown at people, which is, oh, well, it's it's just a choice, you know, that yeah. you're choosing to have a bisexual experience. And when you're done with this little flirtation y'all go back to your real sexuality which is straight exactly and shiri eisner who wrote the wonderful book called um by notes for our bisexual revolution was published in 2013 and it's kind of my favorite book on the subject i can highly recommend it she wrote i quote as we can see bisexual women are only allowed to appear in mainstream media when they follow certain conditions Firstly, they must be considered conventionally sexy. Secondly, they must appear in a sexualized context, including suggestive texts and photos. And thirdly, they must not be thought to be true bisexuals, but rather presented as women who perform bisexuality for men. Female bisexuality is thus co-opted into the hegemonic male gaze which in turn produces female bisexuality on its own patriarchal and phallocentric terms. What this means for bisexual women is that their desires are appropriated and transformed by the mainstream media into the straight male gaze. In this case, it doesn't really matter what a bisexual woman wants for herself, as long as what she wants can be taken to comply with straight men's presumed desires. What she truly wants does not matter at all, since she's only there to be sexualized and objectified. Gross. And I couldn't have put it any better. I think that's just a brilliant <laughs> quote by Sherry Eisner. Yeah, and yeah, she also... How do we change that, though? How do we change, you know, progr- television programming, media, to be, to not have this kind of male gaze, to have a really, like, female-centered or bi-gays. Bi I don't well, know, I think I don't know that it's possible. One thing that comes to mind for me is characters who have been in bad, traumatic, or abusive relationships, uh, heterosexual relationships, that then say things along the lines of like, oh, well, I haven't had any luck with men, so I guess I'll try women, you know? 
things like that, which actually, by the way, I have had a friend say to me before, and I like was inwardly seething because to her, it was like, well, I'll just flip a switch and be lesbian for a bit, you know? So that the idea of like bringing in characters that are more dynamic, that have their own backstory and their own purpose and their own motivations and desires because otherwise what they're doing is yeah they're just fulfilling that that need to be objectified yeah and i think it's also important to generally i think it 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 goes hand in hand with like the general representation of women in media because they are also women in general are objectified and not taken seriously and i think for bisexual women it's just like an additional layer of that but I think the core is still that women are generally sexualized and objectified sure. and modified. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, and I think one series that does that, I'm not sure because I'm not really watching it, but um, Grey's Anatomy, I think, has some bisexual characters who are not just eye candy, but they are kind of, they have relationships and they're a Ali Torres is the most badass female character I have ever seen on TV. Seriously. Because she's, uh, she's, one of, she's like the main... I would say the main bisexual character because she is originally dating men, marries a man, um, gets divorced from a man, has a relationship with another man, has sex with a woman, marries that woman, has children with that woman, things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But is still, there's never a time when she's in a heterosexual relationship that she is not still, you know, talking about or engaging with her bisexuality yeah now that's really cool yeah i mean one thing that shiri eisner also points out is that the highly commodifying and objectifying way for presenting and constructing female bisexuality is also a form of bi erasure because it reassures the viewers that quote bisexuality does not really exist and that these women are only out as bisexual to satisfy the straight male viewers tastes yeah so and and this construction and i think that's also something that i want to stress a lot is that the construction of female bisexuality as availability for heterosexual men is particularly problematic and completely enraging when you think about the high risk of violence and particularly sexualized violence against bisexual women that i mentioned earlier oh yeah like men saying um oh you're you're bisexual or even for lesbian women as well like oh you're you're attracted to women because you've just not had the right dick yet uh i'm sorry but if that's what you think yours is not the right one for me yeah (laughs) and i'm sorry but but your three inch penis is not gonna satisfy me enough to turn me away from being attracted to women what can i I read i i read an article that featured um um, stories by women, but stories by bisexual women who got raped by men, mm. and they were talking about how the things that those men actually said to them were directly relating to their own bisexuality, such as mm. you're a you're a bisexual woman, you want sex all the time anyway, so I can just take advantage of you, like that yeah. kind of that kind of idea. So I think that's why this whole availability thing is particularly scary and also enraging why media makers need to take responsibility for the images that they produce i think um 
And yeah, and, and that's kind of my thing is that there's a close relationship between sexism and bi-negativity and monosexism. And a very striking and shocking example of how bisexual women are affected by this very specific mixture of bi-negativity and misogyny is Ingber Heard. Oh, um, this story makes me so angry. Yeah. So last year... I, First of all, as you may know, Amber Heard, she's an American actress and she's openly bisexual and she's also an LGBT activist. And she was married to Johnny Depp and she got divorced from him, I think, last year. And the reason for the divorce was that Johnny Depp abused her. He abused her emotionally and physically. And she, yeah. And she even, I mean, she did everything that women are told to do when they were abused in a relationship. She even made photos of her injuries. There was a video circulating on the web that showed one of his violent outbursts in the relationship. She talked to the media about it. And she also talked about how in the relationship he was repeatedly, but also increasingly violent towards her. And her friends basically corroborated the reports they said yes they saw her various times with like injuries and stuff like that so there's no doubt about you know her like there's no reason to doubt her story anyway Um, yeah and this is what happens is that women in particular are told no one's going to believe you unless you have proof and then they come up with proof and and what happened yeah what happened you know yeah so the media reacted in a very sexist and vicious way She was not believed. She was called a gold digger because apparently she doesn't have any money by her own because she's not a famous actress at all. Oh, no, of Um, course not. She doesn't have her own name. No, she was accused of just wanting Johnny Depp's money. And by the way, the money that she got or that she's supposed to get, I don't know if if he already paid it. I don't think he's paid it out yet. Yeah, but she planned on giving it to an organization supporting victims of domestic violence, by the way. So it's not the money that she's going to get, but she's going to give it away um and there even was and that's just what makes me so angry there even was a very successful twitter twitter hashtag stand with johnny hmm. in the wake of all of this Gross. so and because he totally needs the support he needs so much support he's such a poor guy and that extremely vicious and like abhorrently sexist misogynistic victim blaming was given a new repulsive twist through the bi-negativity and biphobia that was added to it in media reports. Because some tabloids actually suggested that Tony Depp was only violent because he was driven crazy by Hertz bisexuality. <laughs> I'm Gosh. sorry, I, I laugh about it because there's no other way for me to deal with it. I'm not, I don't actually think I it's funny. I laugh to keep just, from crying. That's my favorite just, line from so a night's tale. <laughs> so the idea was that she's apparently in, able, unable to be monogamous and... Because shockingly, she has lesbian friends. And obviously, she was cheating on him with all of them. That's why they were friends, obviously. Why does she even have friends? Of course. So, yeah, I can even, you know, I can even start counting the wrong way, all all the things that are wrong with this idea. But, you know, I won't. I won't go into detail. Just that's what many tabloids said, that he was driven crazy by her bisexuality, basically. I mean, the the ridiculous thing about it is, even if she were not bisexual, let's pretend for a moment, let's erase her identity and pretend that she's not bisexual. And she has male friends and lesbian female friends. They would still blame her and say that he was jealous of her male friends. And and he was jealous because he thought she might be cheating on him with her lesbian friend. Like, it wouldn't matter because he's an abuser. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
exactly and this idea that you know because he's famous and people only see him in the polished light of post-production in films it's like oh he could never do something like that i'm sorry but he absolutely could and he did and there's proof and yet because she's a woman she's not believed she's not her experience is not valid yeah and then i mean the australian news anchor peter ford kind of is the sad winner of the misogynistic by negativity asshole contest in this disrespect because can we give out that award yep i'll make a certificate okay perfect yeah i got it i mean there are many contestants but i think he won because in his report when when he talked about it he kind of completely erased depp's violence from the picture Mm. when he talked about the whole affair and he kind of blamed the divorce and and heard saying and that's a quote it is not wise to marry a bisexual what the fuck? He then went on to criticize Heard for being married with a woman before her marriage with Depp and discussed the relationship with Depp as a traveling to the other side, which in his opinion was an indication that she could not be trusted. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which is wow. Exactly. Wow. It sounds so like a man like, who's never been in a stable relationship, a healthy relationship before. It sounds like a man who should not be on TV. That's true. I agree. Um, the, the violence enacted upon her was constructed as her fault and her responsibility. And her bisexuality is at the center of that responsibility. And it's at the center of that misogynistic victim blaming. Yeah, because, but, because men can never be at fault. Because it's, no. it's, you know, we've talked about this before. It is a man's world. And women only exist to benefit men. Exactly. And if they don't, then men are driven crazy by that and have to hurt them. So, um, yeah, and I think, you know, my point is kind of, I mean, there are many points to this and there's, we can talk about the Amber Heard case for hours, I think, but my, my, the thing that I would like listeners to take away is that misogyny and bi-negativity are very often intertwined. And so the place of bisexual women is a very specific and precarious one in our society. And it's also important to know that the Amber Heard story is, probably the most famous example, but she is not the only example for a bisexual woman being a victim of intimate partner violence. As I said in the statistics part earlier, that's a very typical story actually, which makes it even sadder and more enraging. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I completely second that need for chocolate. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think in some ways it just kind of reminds me of my own past relationships and one of my last relationships um went on for like a year and a half and it was in the end in particular it was quite abusive but there was this idea that because I'm because I'm really open about my bisexuality with my partners not because I like I had one guy say oh now I'm worried that I um I have to worry about you with other men and women and I was like well I've committed to being in a relationship with you, so I don't think you need to be worried about anyone. Um, but also, you know, I've I've been in relationships before where when I've told my partner that I'm bisexual, usually before we start dating, so it's like clear and it's out there, there's this idea of like, oh, that's so kinky. And I'm like, I'm I'm not yeah. doing it as a kink for you. <laughs> like, Ooh. this is my identity and my life. And I'm attracted to both men and women. And right now I'm choosing to be in a relationship with you, but 
you know, it's no, it's not a kink. It's not something that I do out of, you know, some distorted sexual pleasure, which I think is this thing is like it's demonized because it's seen as being abnormal. Um, and I think, you know, so I I grew up in a Christian background. So my my family are all Christian and I grew up in the church and it wasn't until maybe uh, several years ago that I kind of said, all right, enough of this, I'm done and walked out of the church. Um, and I think, you know, that the church has always had a really rocky past with LGBT issues. I remember that when I was in my first year of undergraduate, there was a girl in our hall, in our in our dorm, who came out to us as being lesbian. And the main question that all of these girls on our hall asked her, or or just even talking about her in these really kind of vindictive tone was, um, oh my God, maybe she has a crush on me. And suddenly like her hugs became advances and things like that. And it was really disturbing to me that someone could confess something to you that largely is considered taboo in the church. And instead of reacting with love um, and, and grace, people reacted with fear. Like, okay, this girl that you're friends with that you know and that you care about suddenly is villainized because she doesn't subscribe to your traditional view of sexuality um, and heteronormativity. And so I always, you know, was really cautious and afraid of talking about my my own experiences and my own feelings. And it was actually during my undergraduate time that I developed an intense crush on one of my female professors. And I didn't have anyone that I could talk to about it because I was at a Christian university and everyone was fairly conservative and the university didn't even acknowledge LGBT rights at all. I mean, we had a club called Refuge that students could come to, but for the most part, it wasn't given um, university funding. It wasn't recognized as an official club because the university was afraid that their main um, benefactor would withdraw his funding because he was very conservative. Oh, yeah. 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 And so it was really hard because then you're trying to get people to be open and feel safe and comfortable in their home environment, but they can't because they can't fully be themselves. And I mean, I think that's one of the things that I always really had trouble with in the Christian community is this idea that everyone is developing their identity. And at university, which is meant to be a time where people are for example, away from their parents and able to form their own conclusions and their own identities. Christian universities don't encourage that. They encourage people to fit into this cookie cutter view of what a Christian is. And so oftentimes things like um, sexual identity or mental health or even things that we might consider to be as normal, for example, as having ADHD or just simply struggling with um, fam how families interact with each other and things like that are all kind of brushed under the rug. And it's, you know, you only talk about the surface level. So you talk about how to pray or you talk about how sad it is that someone has left the faith and things like that. And by doing this, 
you kind of why would they do that why would they leave a faith i know i know because it's certainly not based on all of the judgment that comes out of the church and the hypocrisy and that that is why i left it was the hypocrisy and also i didn't want to be forced into this idea of how i should identify okay ladies thank you for listening you can find us on all kinds of android apps i'm not going to say the names of all of them because there are like tons but also on itunes and one thing that's really important to us is if you're listening to us on itunes then please rate and re- review us because please, we, really please. we don't have enough so please. it helps us to become more recognized in you know the itunes rankings so that other yeah. people can find our podcast completely and we want to be rich and famous and we cannot do that without the reviews. <laughs> Also, we have an email, she who persisted uh, podcast at gmail.com. You can write us if you so uh, if you feel so inclined. Our Twitter is at she persisted pod. We have an Instagram account and we have a Facebook page and we also have a Facebook group for discussions. Now and... we also have two things that I wanted to highlight. One yes, of which please. is we have kind of our little I persisted campaign. Um, we saw the National Cancer Survivors Day happen just a few days ago. And one of the things that they do, uh, the American Cancer Society and other organizations do, is they have um, every cancer survivor hold up a sign that says, you know, what cancer they've conquered. And I think, you know, as a cancer survivor myself, that's really important to me. But it made me realize that there are so many other ways that people have persisted. And so we made up a little template that's available on our blog. We would love it if you'd print that out. It just says, I persisted, and you can too. And then we just would encourage you to write down something that you were able to overcome against odds that has made you stronger or even things that you still struggle with. I mean, you persist through, for example, depression every single day. You don't have to have come out on top of it, totally okay, totally well, just something that you have gone through. Um, And the other thing that I want to highlight is we have a really cool opportunity. uh, Well, I think it's cool, but I'm biased, which is if you write us a review, I will personally send you a handwritten thank you note. Um, Just tell us what platform you wrote it on and send us your address either on Facebook or our email and I will post a letter to you anywhere in the world and it will be totally customized and personalized and handwritten. And I promise <laughs> I have beautiful handwriting, but you'll only know that if you write us a review. And also just concerning the first thing you just said about the she, the I Persisted campaign that we are yes. starting right now, please um, either send those uh, pictures to us on Facebook or our Gmail. Or you can, you can also, also tag us on Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just post them on Instagram and tag us and we'll repost them. So we really And I mean, if you, if you like post it on your Facebook page or something, um, you can also, if you have friends who are like, oh, that's really cool. What is that? They don't have to be avid listeners of our podcast to print off the poster and send it to us. We'd love to see people from all walks of life, from all over the world, send us some of the things that they've persisted through. And some of those things may actually help us come up with new topics to talk about in future episodes. So if you have something that you've persisted through that you think isn't discussed enough, write it down, send it to us, tell us. We would love to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 
will you hear from us in two weeks time we'll talk about uh, LGBT topics a bit more because it's June and it's Pride Month and until then stay nasty stay nasty stay nasty and thank you thank you bye, bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.